Good morning, Life Point. So glad to have you here to uh, worship the Lord with us today. If uh, you're new, visiting Life Point for the very first time, maybe the second, third time, you haven't had a chance to uh, connect with us, we would love to connect with you. If you would just text the word welcome to the number on the screen, 406-209-0314, or you can snap the QR code on the uh, seat back in front of you there. Just our way of uh, connecting with you. We have a gift for you on your way out this morning if you haven't gotten that already. Uh, at the welcome table, we would love to, uh, yeah, give you a gift just to say thank you for being here with us this morning. Uh, well, if you have kids uh, back in Kid Point today, they are putting gift bags together this morning. Uh, every year, our kids' ministry uh, puts together gift bags for senior citizens in our community. And so we partner with RMDC and Meals on Wheels. And uh, they get uh, everything from like wool socks to canned soup, uh, fruit all kinds of stuff in there, just our way to say thank you, we love you, we're thinking of you, and uh, to say Merry Christmas. And so uh, that's what they're doing today, and uh, you can rest assured we are going to sugar them up today with cookies from Vanilla Bean and send them home to you. Uh, so good luck with that. I hope it works out really, really well for you today. Uh, one of two things will happen, either be really like, you know, uh, hyped up on sugar, or they'll just pass out. So I know that most of you will be just like, dear Lord, please just let them pass out. Like sleep the rest of the afternoon, right? So, um, so you'll either hate us or you'll love us today. I don't know. But, uh, but I am so grateful uh, for our kids' ministry and just uh, they are leading the way in uh, sharing life with others in our community and uh, giving gifts like this. And they just love to serve. Like kids love, love, love to serve uh, and give. And this is just a great way for them to do that. And so uh, encourage them in that. Even if you don't have kids uh, say thank you, guys, for what you're doing back there today, because it means a lot. It means so much. We get letters every year uh, from senior citizens in our community that aren't a part of even our community or LifePoint, and they're just overjoyed and thankful, thankful, thankful uh, for people to consider them during this holiday. So thank you guys for being a part of that as well. We've actually been able to raise over 200 bags uh, for uh, people in East Helena and in uh, Helena as well. So it's been fantastic, and you guys uh, have been so uh, giving in that as well. So thank you. Well, if you have a Bible, go to Revelation chapter 3. If you don't have the scriptures, we'll have it up on the screen for you to uh, follow along with us as well this morning. We are continuing our sermon series this morning in the book of Revelation, looking at the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, and Jesus has a message for each of these churches. Uh, and it's pretty amazing, isn't it, that Jesus would say, hey, I've got a message for you. Like, I, I think everyone uh, would desire for Jesus to say, hey, I want to speak to you individually. And he does, of course, right, through his word. Uh, but through these churches, Jesus has a message to deliver. And he delivers the message through a guy by the name of John. He was an apostle, a guy who walked with Jesus, saw uh, Jesus not only uh, before his resurrection, but after his resurrection. And Jesus gives John the task of writing these things down and delivering them to these specific churches in Asia Minor. And each church is uh, really, as we've said throughout this, representative of churches today. Uh, like something that was written thousands of years ago still has a timeless message for you and I today. Uh, each church in, in the issues that they are facing uh, speaks to issues that are still present in our world today. Uh, but I want to remind you of something that I think is important to be reminded of every time we meet, is this, is that Jesus sees you, and Jesus wants to speak to you in your life where you're at specifically, and nothing really exemplifies that more than looking at these letters to specific churches. Jesus 
has a message. And that, of course, reveals his care, his involvement uh, in his church. Jesus isn't far removed. Like, understand that this morning. Jesus isn't like not involved in the church or in your life. He's not like up in heaven going, hey, good luck with life. I hope that works out for you. No, Jesus is involved. And he is engaged in an intimate way within his church. And he wants to be engaged and involved in your life specifically. What an amazing truth, church, to remind ourselves of uh, constantly. And so these letters really begin to reveal that kind of care, that kind of involvement Uh, in the church. And I hope that you're listening. Uh, I hope that as we've gone through this series that you are listening, not just to me, uh, but you're listening to the Word of God. You're listening to the message that God has for us. I hope that we are paying attention. We are the church, right? Uh, We are the church, you and I, and Jesus sees us, and He wants the best for us and from us so that we might leave this place and shine the light of Christ. Amen? Like, that is the heart behind all of this, that churches would actually be what churches are supposed to be, uh, right? Let's be honest, not every church is the way it's supposed to be. And so Jesus has some things uh, to speak to these churches. And so we've looked at uh, all of these churches so far. We looked at the church at Ephesus. If you remember, Ephesus was a church that kind of, you know, had a lot of things going for it. Uh, Had good teaching, good doctrine, had a lot of good programs and good works in the community and that sort of thing. And Jesus says, hey, that's awesome, but you've lost your first love. Like, you've grown cold towards me. Uh, You've lost your passion and your zeal. That was the church at Ephesus. And then we looked at this church in the city of Smyrna. And and the Christians in Smyrna were very persecuted Christians. They were very impoverished Christians uh, in that city. But yet they were very faithful Christians, despite the hardships and the persecution that they were facing. That was the church at Smyrna. And then we talked about the church in the city of Pergamum. Pergamum. Uh, And these were Christians who allowed the culture to begin to infiltrate into their church, into their lives. They became a very compromising church. And we said this, that when you compromise a little, guess who takes a lot? Satan does, doesn't he? When you compromise a little, Satan takes a lot. Well, that was the church at Pergamum. And then last Sunday... We looked at the church at Thyatira, and this became a very corrupted church. And by corrupted, I mean simply this. They began to teach that sin was okay. Holiness doesn't matter. You can live however you want to live. God doesn't care. And we know, of course, that that is not true. And so as you look at these churches, there's kind of this progression. Uh, Further and further along we go, as we go along this kind of postal route, it's like a horseshoe shape. If you look at the the seven churches in this area, uh, this postal route of churches, you see kind of this progression. Things start getting worse and worse and worse. The corruption and the sin begins to infiltrate most of these churches, not all of them, but most of them. But today we're going to look at a church that Jesus said this to you're dead. You're spiritually dead. There's no life in you. You may be doing a lot of good things. You have a name. You have a reputation, but you are dead. What an amazing testament of Jesus to look at a church and say, there's no life here. You ever walked into a place like that before? Maybe you've walked into churches. Hopefully it wasn't this church and is not this church. Where you walk in, you just feel like, oh, it feels really dead here. Right? Like, it doesn't feel like there's any life here. It doesn't feel like there's uh, any, uh, the spirit is not alive and moving and active and working within this place. You probably know what it's like to walk into a place that kind of feels dead. Well, that was, that was Sardis. 
It was a church that, that had uh, gone, were going through the motions, just kind of doing church, right? Checking off uh, the, the spiritual list, uh, you know, doing all these spiritual things. But in their hearts, they were dead to the Lord. And a lot of programs, probably had a lot of committees, a lot of gatherings, a lot of busyness, probably had some plaques on their wall that said, hey, look at our past. But in reality, their hearts were dead to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that we are prone to becoming just like the church at Sardis today too as well. That just because you're here and you may call yourself a Christian, you may not call yourself a Christian, I don't know where you're at this morning, but just because you're in church doesn't mean that you're prone or not prone to falling into the same traps and issues that the Christians in Sardis fell to as well. You and I are prone to becoming spiritually dead in the sense that we just don't care anymore. We just don't care about the things of the Lord anymore. This was a church that had a name, they had a reputation, had a rich history, but now Jesus says is dead. And that can happen, listen, to the greatest churches and the greatest Christians today as well. And it happened to Sardis. Sardis was dead spiritually. Did you know that today over 3,500 churches in America close their doors every year? 3,500. Uh, that, let's do the math. I mean, that, that's a, well, let's not do the math because I don't like math, but, you know, do the math on your own when you go home, right? Like how many churches in America? Think about uh, the amount of churches that are closing their doors uh, year after year, shutting them. We're done. We're, we're dead. There's no life here. There's no reason to be present here anymore. 3,500 churches in America. 80%. 80% of churches, uh, statisticians tell us, in North America are plateaued or declining today. 80% of them, only 20% of churches in North America today are actually thriving and growing and healthy and alive today. That's astounding, if you ask me. So is this a prevalent issue today? You bet it is. It's a real and it's a present danger this morning. And if we hear this morning, LifePoint Church, this collective body of believers... If you and I are not willing to hear and listen to what the Spirit of the Lord says to us, to wake up, to shake us out of our slumber, and to be active and involved and confident in the Lord no matter what we do in life, if we're not willing to listen to what God has to say to us, guess what? We'll be part of the statistic. We'll be part of the 80% or the 3,500 churches that are closing their doors every single year. We could be a part of it as well if we're not willing to listen. So let's take, take some time this morning, and let's see what we can discover from this church at Sardis. So we're going to read Revelation chapter 3, finally into the third chapter of Revelation. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and the scripture will be up on the screen for you to follow along with us as well. But these are Jesus' words. This is Jesus physically in the presence of John the Apostle speaking these words. And John's like writing them down, you know, making sure he gets it word for word. And, and Jesus says this in verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write. Now, this isn't like a heavenly angel. This is a messenger. The word uh, in the Greek for angel is angelos, and it means the messenger. And so this is the, the pastor of that church, the messenger of that church. And Jesus says, I want you to send this to that person. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. If you were with us at the very beginning, we kind of defined these, these descriptions of Jesus. Uh, the person who, who has, who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. What are the seven spirits of God? Uh, does that mean that there's seven different Holy Spirits? No, it actually doesn't. Seven in the Bible is a word uh, for completion. It means it's complete. And this is the complete Holy Spirit. In Isaiah chapter 11, you read this description. 
description about the Holy Spirit himself. He has seven different functions, and Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And he says, I have the Holy Spirit, and, and I have the seven stars. And the seven stars are the seven churches. And, and let me remind you again, Jesus holds them. He's involved in them. He cares about them. And he says this in verse 1, I know your works. I know your works. Uh, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You think you got a lot going for you. you. You think you've got a good past or a good history and a good name and a good reputation. You think you got all these things. Jesus says, you might have a reputation, but on the inside, you are dead. And so he says this, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God, meaning I don't accept them. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If not, if you will not wake up, he says, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Verse four, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, meaning uh, they haven't uh, corrupted themselves uh, with sin in their life and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy the one who conquers, verse 5, will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And he closes his letter, just like he closes every letter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Meaning, listen. If you're willing to listen, listen. Uh, I, as always, I think it's important we understand a little history. A little history about the city of Sardis. What was Sardis like and why is it important? So I want to read to you kind of a short description from uh, author, commentator, Pastor John MacArthur from his New Testament commentary. He said this, uh, it'll be on the screen. He says, to a striking degree, the history of the church at Sardis paralleled that of the city, meaning the city uh, believed a certain way, lived a certain way, acted a certain way. And he said, you know what? Uh, the church was really no different. Uh, they kind of lived and acted and believed really the same way that the people of the city did. Uh, he said it was founded in 1200 BC. Uh, it had been one of the greatest cities in the ancient world, capital of the fabulously wealthy Lydian kingdom. And much of Sardis's wealth was uh, through gold. They had uh, mined it from the uh, Pactolus River. Uh, and so very wealthy, wealthy city. Uh, and it's believed that they actually minted coins in Sardis for the very first time. Like, where did this come from? Well, guess what? Uh, historians tell us that Sardis minted coins uh, there for the very first time. He went on to say this, the city also benefited from its location at the western end of the royal road that led east to the Persian capital city of Susa. You might be familiar with the city of Susa if you've read the book of Esther before. Susa plays uh, a major role there as well. Uh, and then also he said from its proximity to other important trade routes. So there's a lot of roads going in and out of Sardis, and guess what? There's a lot of money going in and out of Sardis. But it was also a center for wool production in the garment industry. In fact, Sardis claimed to have discovered how to dye wool, uh, how to dye wool. So a uh, very prominent city. This became a very wealthy, wealthy city. In fact, one of the wealthiest cities in Asia Minor. And guess what? The people that lived there were very, very proud of living in Sardis. I was speaking with somebody this morning uh, about the state of Texas. Is anybody from Texas? Like from, from Texas? Not, not from, nobody like, I don't want to say I'm from Texas, right? But if somebody was here that said they were from Texas, they'd be like, yeah, I'm from Texas. If you've ever been to Texas before, it's like, it's a big state, right? And people are proud to be from Texas. And if you've ever driven through Texas, you kind of scratch your head and you're like, why? Why are you so proud? 
yeah, thank you. My wife is from Texas, so I have to be careful what I say, right? Uh, but she knows what I'm talking about. She knows what I'm talking about. Texas is a big state. People are proud to be from Texas, right? Guess what? Sardis was no different. People were proud to be uh, a citizen of Sardis. Why? Because it's so wealthy. I mean, if, you were from, if you were from Sardis, man, you, you had an abundance of wealth. And so people uh, took a lot of pride, had a lot of confidence in that very fact. But they also had confidence for another reason. It's an important reason, and it kind of plays into not only their history, but the history of the church as well, is that the, the, the city of Sardis and the location of this city became something that those people were very, very confident in. You see, the city of Sardis was situated on a plateau some 1,500 feet above the valley floor. And so they sat up in the mountains, right? We're from Montana. We live in Montana. We want to live in the mountains, right? We're way away from everybody, right? Sardinians, if that's what we can call them this morning, uh, they lived 1,500 feet up in the mountains. And on three sides, they had these massive, massive cliffs, they were very, very difficult to scale. In fact, they believed that they were uh, very smooth rock walls on three sides, and then situated behind them was this massive cliff as well. And so Sardis became a city that was easy to defend. Sardis became a city that was almost impregnable. Like, nobody can, can defeat us living in Sardis. And that became kind of the mindset and the confidence. If you live in Sardis, man, not only are you wealthy, but you're protected living in such a city. And so the people of Sardis became really, really confident in this. No one can defeat us. No one uh, can, can defeat this city. We are safe, so they thought. As you can imagine, in history, their confidence in that fact was misplaced. Uh, two times in history was the city taken, once by uh, Cyrus, the king of Persia in 549 BC, a little history lesson here for you, uh, and then the second time by Antiochus the Great in 195 BC, their confidence led to their demise. You might say, how? How? A simple reason. They failed to watch the walls. That's it. They failed to watch for the enemy to attack. He says, hey, let's go have a party. We, we don't need to watch the walls. Nobody can scale the walls of Sardis. Come on. We're safe. We're okay. We're confident. And I want you to know what happened to the city itself could be said of the church as well. They felt safe. They felt protected. They had confidence in their wealth in the safety of the city. They became confident in those things. And the same thing can happen to you and I as well today. The same thing can happen to you and I as well today, and it happens this way. When, when we become so confident in the world, when, when worldly confidence begins to well up, when we're confident in our finances, in our job, in our abilities, in our reputation, you name it, the list goes on and on and on. I live in a free, uh, a free nation, I have all of these rights, I have all of these freedoms, we begin to place our confidence in those things. And here's what happens. Worldly confidence, listen, leads to spiritual deprivation. Mark it down this morning. When your confidence is not in the Lord, when your confidence is in all of these other things in life, guess what will happen and what did happen to the church at Sardis? They were spiritually impoverished. So much so that Jesus looks at this church and says, you know, you, you ought to trust in me. You ought to trust in me regardless of what you have in life, but you don't. And because you don't, you are spiritually poor. In fact, you are spiritually dead inside. 
And I bet for those Christians, quote unquote, living in that church, living in that society, they probably think, oh no, not us. How dare you? Look at our programs, look at our committees, look at our outreach, look at all the things that we're doing, look at the amount of money that we're giving away, look at all the things. We go to church every single Sunday. How dare you say we're dead? I said, no. So you can do all the right things on the exterior. You can look really good on the outside. You can sound like a Christian, act like a Christian, and be dead inside. And that is the case with this church And I want you to know this morning, the more and more that we put our trust in this world, our financial stability, our safety, our health, our abilities, our name, the more impoverished we become spiritually because we're not trusting in Jesus. And that's what happened here in the church. And it happens over and over and over, I think, in society. In fact, Paul spoke to this very thing uh, to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor of a church. And and, and there was a lot of rich people in that church. And and Paul said to Timothy in in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, notice it with me. He said this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them to not be haughty. How many of you used the word haughty this past week, right? Stop being so haughty, you know? Like, no, we probably don't use that word very often, right? But it just means, like, stop being so, so prideful and so into yourself, right? Stop acting that way. Like, the rich can have a tendency to be that way. And so he says, like, charge them not to be that way, nor to set their hopes, their confidence, their trust in what? The uncertainty of riches. Boy, things can turn just like that, can't they? Now, you can have everything and tomorrow lose everything. Isn't that true? And so Paul says, hey, we ought not to put our trust in riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Guess what? God's not a killjoy, right? He wants you to live life and enjoy life, but he wants you to trust him for everything that we possess in life. And the people of Sardis, they were rich. They were rich. And and I think not only were the citizens of the city rich, I think we're talking about a very wealthy church as well, a church that probably had everything they wanted to have. You wanted a building extension or a building program? Let's do it. We got the money. Let's go forward. Wealth, among other things, became their confidence. Safety and security became their confidence. And they often began to become the things that kind of lull us into sleep, don't they? As we go through life, especially in modern America, right, we kind of just go through life and, you know, maybe you've got a good income, you got a good job, it's secure, and, you know, you got, you know, toys in the garage, you got pretty much everything you want in life. There's not a lot of conflict, not a lot of hardships in life. The tendency is to think, I don't really need God. I don't really need anything else. I've got everything I need in life, and that is what happened to this church, But it also happened to another church. We're going to talk about the church at Laodicea here in uh, a couple weeks after we get past the holidays. But uh, there's another church that kind of exemplifies this attitude probably no better than any other church. It was the church at Laodicea. I want you to notice real quick with me, and then we'll move on. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, this is a church that says this. Jesus says in verse 17, for you say, This is what you're saying. This is what you believe. You say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Wow, right? For a church to get to that place, I don't need God. How are you even a church, right? I don't need anything. Not realizing Jesus says that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You're delusional. You're delusional. You're placing your confidence in the wrong things. 
Why? Because worldly confidence leads to what? Spiritual deprivation in the church at Laodicea, man, that they, that they become so confident in their worldly possessions, they thought, we don't even need God. What a sad testimony. What a sad testimony. But we have that tendency as well, don't we? You have that tendency. I have that tendency as well. We fool ourselves, church, into believing that we're okay spiritually since we have everything materially. When our needs are, are, are met in life, when we're kind of, you know, absent of any conflict, our bellies are full, we, we don't really lean into God all that much. We kind of place our trust and our confidence in all of those things. And I personally believe that is what happened to the church at Sardis. Wealth and safety. And they became overconfident in those things, so much so that they neglected to stand guard against the enemy. If you've been in church any amount of time, you probably have heard before that there is an enemy. And there is someone, his name is Satan, who is a deceiver. He's a fooler. He wants to devour your life, as Peter said, and he's seeking about to devour Christians, to cause them to live for this world. That is their enemy. And he's, he was a, the enemy then, and he's the enemy today. And these Christians neglected to stand guard against their enemy. And Jesus says, because of that, you're dead. I know your works, he says in verse 1. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. You know, it's real easy to kind of go through life just based on a past reputation. Um, I, uh, I was a, a little brother. Anybody a little brother, a little sister? You got an older sibling? Older sibling? Okay, so you're the, you know, like we feel like we got a connection here, right? We're like the younger kid in the family. And we always kind of live in the shadow of the older brother, older sister, right? Isn't that the case? Well, uh, for me, I remember when I went into uh, high school, the same high school that my brother went to, uh, and I started meeting like seniors, like older kids that knew my brother. And you know what they said to me? Oh, you're little Bill. Like, no. No, I'm not. Like, my brother had a reputation in school, and it wasn't a good reputation, let me tell you, right? But they, they thought, oh, like, you're probably just like your brother. And so they called me Little Bill. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, my, my name is actually John? They're like, just like, never mind, kid, you know? But, like, I lived in the shadow of his reputation. Uh, and you, you might know what that's like to go through life living in the shadow of someone's reputation or living just kind of based upon a past reputation that people kind of, you know, view you in a certain way. This church was doing the same thing living their lives in the past reputation, the past name, the past of what they maybe did for Jesus. Jesus says, I know your works, but they're not complete. Me meaning, you know, I'm not really satisfied with what you're doing because you're going through the motions. You're just checking off the list. You're, you're maybe doing some things that you think are good and right, but they're done with the wrong motivation. We don't know what they are specifically because Jesus doesn't elaborate. We just know that they're not acceptable because Jesus says, you can do all the right things and still be dead inside. And that's what happened to the church at Sardis. They had become dead to the things of the Lord. They stopped hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Isn't that what everybody wants in life? To be satisfied to find purpose in meaning and satisfaction in life. Jesus says, when you actually hunger and thirst for righteousness that is only found in me, you will be satisfied. And maybe at some point in Sardis's history, they did that. They had a hunger. They were pursuing holiness like we talked about last week. They made it their pursuit. They made it their passion to know and love Jesus, but it faded away. It became less and less and less important. 
And the things that began to invade their church are the things that invaded other churches. Sin, corruption, pagan worship, the wealth, the security, all of those things began to shift their focus from God. They had a good reputation at one time, but they just started coasting. You know what it's like to coast, right? Anybody ever do that? Like, I'm going to see how, like, you know, how far I can go in the car and just, like, go down the hill and, like, put it in neutral. Has anybody ever done that before? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. We're like, I'm going to get, like, 40 miles per gallon just by coasting, right? We would do that as a kid. Like, as a kid, everything's a contest, and then you just get taller, and everything still is a contest. You know what I'm talking about? But when we were kids, we would ride from, like, our friend's house to our house, which is, like, a mile and a half, two miles, something like that. And we would, we would uh, try to ride no-handed and coast. We would, like, pedal really, really hard, and then we said, once we get to the oak tree, we had oak trees in Maine, beautiful, hardwood trees, like, gorgeous, right? And as soon as we get to that oak tree, like, everybody, hands off. This is in, like, traffic, okay? Like, we're going down the middle of the road. Uh, we weren't very smart, but, uh, but we would do that. Like, and then we would just like hands off and we would just coast, right? See how far we can coast. And usually what happened is either somebody like crashed and burned or, you know, bailed off their bike or whatever the case might be. But you can only go so far coasting, right? You can only go so far in the power of how much you pedal in life. And the same is true when it comes to our spiritual lives as well. At one point, we're pedaling hard for Jesus, and we're excited, and we want to grow, and we want to study, and we want to go to church, and we want to give, and we want to serve, and we want to see people ushered into the kingdom of God and be freed from the condemnation of sin, just like we were, and we're like, I love Jesus. But pedaling's hard, and life is hard. And we get to the point where we say, you know, I'm going to take a break from pedaling. I'm going to take a break from all that for a little while. And I'm going to see how far I can coast. And God will let you coast, won't he? God will let you just kind of coast through life. In fact, God will really let you do whatever you want to do. He allows you and I to do that. But we just kind of coast through life. And pretty soon, we stop. And when we stop, we stop growing. We stop serving. We start, stop giving. We stop caring about spiritual things. And this is what happened to Sardis. They began to coast. But they said, you know, we used to pedal. You know, we used to pedal hard for Jesus, and we used to do all of those things. And look, we've got some plaques on the wall, you know, from all the good things we did at one time. And, you know, we're just kind of coasting at this point. Jesus says, you're not even coasting. Like, like you're dead spiritually. There's no life here. That's Sardis, a church that looked at their Christian life and said, ah, we're good. I got enough of Jesus in my life. I'm satisfied with a reputation, with a name. We're confident in a name rather than having true substance. You know what's so wrong with the world and the church today? The world looks at the church and they look and they see no substance. And they look in the walls of the church and they see the church fighting and arguing about all kinds of stupid issues in life. What color should we paint the walls or the carpet? What color should the carpet be? And everybody's consumed about dumb issues in life. And the world's like, I'm not interested in that. And they see a church that is so consumed about the past rather than about the present. 
If you think you're exempt from that, notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse 12, because I think it's very, very applicable, and I think it was happening in the church in Corinth as well. Therefore, let anyone, anyone, okay, how long you think, or how long you've been a Christian, or where you stand, whether you stand in this pulpit and preach the Word of God, or sing songs and worship, or come to church every single Sunday and open your Bible, it doesn't matter. Anyone who thinks, you think you stand? Man, take heed, watch out, lest you fall. Proverbs says something very, very similar. Solomon, wisest person in all the world, says this, pride goes before destruction, mark it down every time. You see the pride? Wait for the fall. Let me ask you to consider something with me this morning. Where has your confidence been? What would you say in life? This is like at the end of the day, this is my confidence, this is my trust, this is the one thing that maybe it's uh, not one thing, maybe it's many things that you're saying, my confidence is in this today. What's your confidence in? Let me just press it just a little bit. Is it a mask? Is your confidence in a mask? Is your confidence in a vaccine? Is it in a coming president? Is it in a coming system of ideology in, in, in politics? Is it in a good economy that you would say, man, as long as it's a good economy and, and my job is, is secure, maybe it's my padded income, I'll be confident. That's my confidence. Maybe it's in a quiet, safe community. Why is everybody moving to Montana? Because they want to live in a quiet, safe community. It's your confidence in that. Maybe, it's, maybe your confidence is in a past reputation a name that I had from my past, what if all that disappeared tomorrow? What if all of those things that you place your confidence in today was gone tomorrow? Could that happen? Yeah, absolutely. What is left standing? You know, at the end of the day, God desires more than anything that you place your confidence and your trust in Him. He is the only answer. Why? Because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He created the heavens and the earth, and he created you and I, and he desires simply that that we have a relationship with him. And he says, you can put your confidence in all kinds of things. Good luck. Try it. I'll let you. And he's let the world do that very thing. But the only confidence we can have is in the person of Jesus who came, God in the flesh. We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus here uh, in just a couple weeks come in the flesh, lives a sinless life, dies a sinner's death for you and I. And says, the only confidence you can have is in my son, Jesus. He is the only person that gives satisfaction and meaning and purpose in life. Where is your confidence placed? If you've been a Christian in the room, you'd be like, yeah, Jesus, right? It's supposed to be Jesus. But if we're honest with ourselves, Many of us, we get to the point where we, just, we pedal so hard, we do a lot of good things. And let me tell you, I, this church has done amazing things in this community. But if we stop and we say, it's enough, and we just start coasting, guess what? We're going to come to the end of the ramp, we're going to go off the edge, we're going to crash and burn, and we're going to be a statistic just like so many churches are not only in America, but in our world today, that are dead. Are you alive today? Are you spiritually alive this morning? 
God says to you this morning, look, if you come here today and, and you would say, uh, Pastor John, I, I feel a little spiritually dead. I feel like I'm not alive. I feel like, you know, that, that passion, that zeal, that hunger, that thirst is kind of gone in my life. You know what Jesus says? He has some advice for you and I, just like he has some advice for this church at Sardis. Let me run through it very, very quickly. There's five quick things this morning that Jesus says to this church. He says, first and foremost, I want you to wake up. I want you to wake up. He says that in verse number two, wake up. And that word here means simply to be aware, to be on the lookout, to wake up to the realities of what's happening in our world and in this life and understand that there is an enemy and understand that there's someone who wants to take your life and hold you captive to your sin. God says, wake up. There's freedom in Jesus. There's freedom in Christ. If you're a Christian here this morning, be on guard. Watch the wall. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance. Guard it. Never let your guard down. Here's a good indication that a church has died. This church in Sardis was a church that had no opposition. It was a church that had no persecution. And it was a church that had no conflict whatsoever. Why? Because they weren't challenging anything, not even their own sin in their life. Wake up, Jesus says wake up. I love what Matthew Henry said. He said, whenever we are off our watch, we lose our ground. Whenever we stop watching and we just start coasting through life, we begin to lose ground for Jesus. Wake up, he says. Here's the second thing, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains, verse number two, and is about to die. It's evident that there is maybe something alive still there. We don't know what it was or what it is because Jesus doesn't define it for us. I think it was the word of God. I think it was truth. I think it was the gospel of Jesus Christ based upon what he says next. But he says, go back to the basics. Stop being focused on so many different things and strengthen what you do have. And I think that is the word of God because he says next, remember what you have received. What did, what did he receive? What did this church receive? What have you and I received? We have received the glorious message of the gospel. Amen, church? The good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for us, he was buried for us, and he rose again from the grave for us. It's a gospel message. And Jesus says, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember what Jesus has done for you, what you have heard and what you have received. I want you to keep it, and I want you, lastly, to repent, to turn from sin. This, this is Jesus' advice. Simple this morning. And I want you to be mindful of what's happening. I want you to wake up. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you're dead inside because you have never, there's never been a moment in your life where you have said yes to the offer of grace. Listen, you can come to church till you, till your last days and still be spiritually dead unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe waking up for you is waking up to the reality that, that your sin uh, keeps you from a holy God. And God is saying, I want you to wake up spiritually. And the only way to wake up spiritually is by believing in the person of Jesus Christ. If you need to do that today, man, God says, just cry out. You don't need me. You don't need somebody else. God just says, cry out in your heart to me and understand who I am and what I've done for you. And God says, I'll give you life. Wake up. Wake up, strengthen what remains, remember, repent, turn. This is God's prescription.
for a church that became so overconfident that he looked at and said, it is dead inside. Are you alive today spiritually? Christian, this morning, is your heart beating for Jesus? Are you excited to serve? Are you excited? Is there passion to serve Jesus today? Do you want to grow? Do you want to hunger and thirst for righteousness today? Is your heart beating for Jesus? If you don't, if you're here this morning, you're kind of like, nah, whatever, pastor. Let me ask you to do this. Check your pulse. Check your pulse spiritually this morning because you might be dead inside. You might have gotten to the point in your life where you have forsaken the Holy Spirit of God so much that God has just kind of left you to you. But there's time and there's opportunity to awaken, to repent, to turn around, start pedaling again. Guys, the difference this church could make, the difference your life can make in the lives of other people, if we're just willing to keep pedaling for Jesus, keep serving him, keep sharing him. The difference that we can make in this community if we just show people what it really means to know and to love and to follow Jesus. Would you stand with me just for a moment? It's a moment we call invitation. What that simply means this is we're inviting you today to make a move for God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or do anything embarrassing this morning. I'm going to ask you, you in God this morning, that you would respond to him. We're giving you time, a moment to just be quiet, to maybe set aside all the things that 2020 has been, all the things that your week has been, to put all of those things aside today and to kind of assess in your life, where really has my confidence been? What am I really trusting? What am I really hoping for and hoping in today? Is it really Jesus? Maybe you've strayed from that. Guess what? We all have. We all know what that's like. To stop pedaling to coast. But let's get back on the bike. Let's start pedaling for Jesus. Let's place our hope, our trust in him that no matter what happens in America, the next few months, the next year, the next years. Our hope, our confidence will always be in the person of Jesus. May God look at our lives, may he look at your life, our church, say this is a church that is alive, that is thriving, that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit and his leading and guiding in their lives, like they want to obey, they want, they want to serve, they, they want to see God's kingdom built, they want to see people ushered into God's kingdom. Is that you? Is that us? Would Jesus make that assessment of us today? God, this morning, God, help us. Forgive us, God, for the moments that we just coast through life spiritually. We become so confident in the wrong things, God, forgive us. Help us to place our hope, our trust, our confidence in you always. God, help us to never become a dead church. May there be life here. May your spirit have freedom, God, to move in our hearts as you see fit. We love you. We worship you, God. We thank you that we can come to this place today in freedom and worship you. We praise you. We worship you. 
And we pray, God, that you would shine your light through us as we leave this place today. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hey, church, thanks so much for being here with us this morning. I want to encourage you to sign up for one of our Christmas Eve services, 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. You can go online to our website and do that as well. Uh, And uh, we just need numbers to know how many seats we have in service, but uh, it's going to be a great time. God bless. We'll see you next week.